Well, it's good to have you here, and uh, we are in a series called Better. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive in. If you have your Bibles or your iDevice, whatever you're using, you could turn to Psalm 119, which is uh, where we're going to be today. Let me pray for us. Father God, I, uh, I pray for us this morning as we come to your word. And I don't know um, where everybody is coming from today. I would imagine that there are some in this room who absolutely love your word, are um, um, committed to it, are enamored by it, uh, live by it, and maybe some uh, this morning who are, um, you know, maybe not quite there, uh, not at that place. Uh, I pray for your word this morning as we read it, as we study it, that you would bring it alive to us. I pray that you would show us both the value and the wonder of your word. I pray that you would cause us, like you did for the psalmist, to uh, value it and to fall in love with it. And that is a big order, and it's something I can't do, but Father, through the power of your word and the spirit, it's something you can do in us. And so I pray for that great work today among us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So where do people go today for wisdom, for uh, decisions for living. Well, a lot of people go to the internet. Uh, I don't know if you go there, but a lot of people do. And I, I came across a study recently that uh, basically showed the things that people most search for on the internet uh, since 2001. I wouldn't say that it's encouraging, but I would say that it's enlightening. And um, I love infographics, so I want to run through a few of these. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through all, uh, all the years, but a few of them. In 2001, when the service started, what they found was that people searched for these things more than anything else. Napster. Remember Napster? Anybody need a Napster, right? What's Napster? Uh, Osama bin Laden, Shrek, right? Because they, uh, Windows XP, Nokia. Is Nokia still in business? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, 2001. So these are the things that people uh, looked for on the internet more than anything else. Uh, 2004. Uh, MapQuest. You guys remember MapQuest? So man, I, man, I remember MapQuest. So you'd go online, you'd do dial-up, it'd take forever, and then you'd plot your course. We used to do this for family vacations. Uh, we're going to go down to California and plot out a course, and then uh, it would say, do you have a lot of ink in your printer? Uh, because then you'd print out like 35 pages, right? I'm pretty sure that there was like a whole conglomerate thing going on in between HP and MapQuest and iPod. iPod was a big deal. So Saddam Hussein was a big deal. eBay, lots of people on eBay. Ugg Boots was a thing. Ugg Boots should have never been a thing. Uh, Janet Jackson was a thing, there, right? There's the whole Super Bowl uh, thing. Remember that? And George W. Bush was one of the people most looked up on the internet. Uh, 2006, MySpace. That was the big thing. Everybody's getting on MySpace. Podcasting was becoming uh, a thing. Um, Hezbollah, people were looking up. Uh, 2007, um, people are looking up uh, YouTube. So YouTube was becoming a thing. And the iPhone, the iPhone came out in 2007. I remember people going, nobody wants a phone like that has the internet on it. It will never no one's going to buy that thing. Uh, American Idol. Anyone watch American Idol? Anyone? No, you're not going to admit it. Uh, 2008, people were looking up uh, who is Obama, uh, who is Sarah Palin, right? Uh, Facebook started to become a thing. Uh, people were uh, lost. Anyone watch Lost? No. Yes, thank you. Not just me. 2014, uh, ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Remember that? Did you guys do it? Yeah, I did that. Not one of my finer moments. Uh, the Game of Thrones, uh, Robin Williams. Uh, you might remember committed suicide. Uh, I re you remember uh, Crimea, Ukraine? Remember Russia going, no, we just want Crimea. That's all we want. We won't ask for anything else. Just give us Crimea. Yeah, okay. Uh, 2016, who were we looking up? Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Go, they're kind of all in the same uh, thing together. Stranger Things, yeah, that all makes sense. Uh, 2020, right? Black Lives Matter. Election results. People were like, oh, what's going on? The coronavirus. Remember that? A long time ago. Remember that thing? Among Us, popular game. Tesla, 
right, that isn't going anywhere, um, obviously. So the reason I mention this to you is mostly because of what I didn't see. Not in any of those years did I see even a single search for, like, how can I get right with God? (laughs) Uh, um, How can I have my sins forgiven? Um, How can I stop being a jerk? Uh, I didn't see no searches for that. Uh, How can I love my wife? How can I be a better parent? How can I bless my kids? How can I care for people in need? How can I be a better employee, a, a better employer? How can I be a servant? I gotta give my life away to serve other people. No, no, none of that. We were looking up uh, Crazy Frog. That's what we were doing. Uh, we are in a series called Better, and we are talking about God's wisdom for us. We're looking at some of what I call the better verses in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Better is this, better this. Last week we said better is wisdom than a whole lot of money. And today we're kind of taking the next obvious step in this in this series, and we're talking about the Word of God. Psalm 119, 72 is our verse for today, though we'll be looking at the whole, the whole chapter. The law of your mouth is better, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The psalmist is uh, basically saying, imagine all the money that you could have in the bank. The Word of God is better than that. Now, Wealth can buy a whole lot of really good things, right? We can do good things with wealth. We can buy food. We need food. That's, that's a good thing. We can, we can buy you know, a roof over our head and provide for our family. That's good. We could, you know, we could send our kids to college. That's a great thing. We can get health care and clothing. We need all that stuff. And with money, we can even you know, be generous. We can bless other people. We can feed people beyond our household people who are hungry. Uh, we can shelter people who are homeless. We can provide medical care for people who are sick. We can pay some of their bills for them if we want. I know some of you do that. We could buy an education for someone. I know people have done that. They knew someone who needed to go to college. They weren't even related, but they said, we're going we're gonna to pay for their college education. That's a great thing. And, you know, we can support the work of the gospel, both here in our community in our country, and we can support it worldwide. Those are all great things that we can do with our money, and yet what he says here is that God's word is even better than that. It's even better than money, so it's not necessarily that he's saying money is you know, like worthless and a terrible thing. He's just saying the word of God is even better than that. Now, our passage today is in Psalm 119. Uh, basically what I did was, this is my bright idea. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna stay in Psalm 119, I'm just going to study Psalm 119, and we're just going to do that. If you, have you read Psalm 119? So uh, basically, it's 176 verses. It's a long, and have you looked at the outline this weekend? Have you taken a look at the front and the back? There's a lot of stuff going on. Now, here's what I can tell you. I came up with 29 ways from Psalm 119 that the Word of God is better than money. So you can thank me now, all right? You'll notice there's not... There's not, a, there's not 29 things on there. And, and here's what I can tell you right now. We're not going to get through everything on there. But I, but I have a shorter list there for you, and you can look some of it later. We'll see how far we can get. That'll be awesome. See if we get as far as the first service. Uh, I'm already off track. Uh, so today, Psalm 119. Now, as we dive into Psalm 119, you're going to notice some different terms that the psalmist uses, and I just want to kind of make you aware of those um, Precepts is a word that he uses. So when he talks about what we might call the Bible, sometimes he uses the word precepts, which is, it means detailed instructions from God, all right? So that's one of the ways he talks about um, the word of God. Sometimes he uses the word law, which comes from uh, the Hebrew verb for instruction or teaching. Law simply means teaching that God gives us, but it comes from God, and so we call it law because it's, it's like that. There's testimonies, which are basically stories or witnesses about God. There are statutes, which are considered legal binding forces. There are commandments. There are things that God speaks to us, and he speaks with authority, so we could call it a command ordinances, which are judgments and decisions about common human situations that we find in scriptures. Sometimes it says ordinances, sometimes it talks about the promises of God, right? Uh, something that God tells us that we can count on, we can, we can bank on. Um, and then there's just the word, word, which is uh, the most general term for God's truth in, in any form. So you're going to notice all these today. It's not important that we understand the difference in all of these today, 
but that we're talking about the word of God. So how is God's word better than cash in the bank? Well, let's talk about a few of these. The first is, and this is really kind of launching off last week, and that is, it's about wisdom, that God's word can make me wise, can help me wise up. We're gonna find this all over Psalm 119, but in verses 98 through 100 specifically, Notice what the psalmist says. He says, now your commandments, that's, he's talking about the word of God, your commandment makes me wiser. So he gives us kind of three groups here. It makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me, and I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation, and I understand more than the aged, the old people, uh, for I keep your precepts. So he mentions these three groups in particular. He says it makes me wiser than my enemies. So the psalmist had, he has some people in Psalm 119, he talks about people who are enemies, they're talking smack about him behind his back, they're plotting against him, they'd love to see his demise, they're, they mean to harm him, but the psalmist says that God's word protects him by making him wiser than his enemies. There's, a, I was thinking about in the Gospels, uh, particularly about the religious leaders, and if you study through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this probably sounds familiar, but there were these religious leaders and they did not like Jesus and they thought that they were pretty wise and so they, they plotted against Christ. They had this really wise plan. They thought, we'll get an inside guy, one of the disciples, and he'll betray Jesus and then we'll wait until Jesus is uh, you know, in an in a out-of-the-way place and we'll take some thugs and we'll arrest him. Like, they thought they were really smart. And we'll arrest him, and then, um, you know, we'll, we'll take him and put him on trial at nighttime. We're not supposed to do that, but we're going to do it at night. Nobody will know about it. And then we will uh, find him guilty and crucify him. We'll, we'll put him on a cross. And they thought they were really wise. They thought they were really smart in doing this. But in fact, their wisdom accomplished the exact opposite of what they set out to do. We kind of talked about the wisdom of a man last week and how it's like that. How so? Well, their goal was to get rid of him. And their wisdom said, this is how we get rid of Jesus. Did they get rid of Jesus? No. What did they get instead? They got a resurrected Jesus who appeared to many and ascended to heaven. They got the exact opposite of what they wanted, right? The psalmist says that God's word makes him wiser than his enemies. It says it makes him wiser than his teachers. He probably had some very knowledgeable teachers, but he had a, a teacher that surpassed them all. He had God's word that he studied. I, uh, my, my big part of my job is to study the Bible every week. Like I get paid to study the Bible and to read commentaries by really smart guys who have studied the Bible and to write sermons. And so I spend a lot of time, sometimes I'll spend just a ton of time during the week writing and editing and researching and reading all sorts of amazing people on the passage that I'm gonna teach. And then I'll come up and teach and sometimes I'll have somebody come up afterwards and say, uh, you know, pastor, I was thinking about that passage and here's something that God taught me. And sometimes I'm stunned, I'll be like, that's better than anything that I said in the last 40 minutes. Like, where did that come from? And this is what the psalmist says, right? That God's wisdom is available to anyone who will seek it, who, who will read it. It also says that it made him wiser than the aged. Now, it, it seems logical that people who have lived longer and had more life experiences would have more wisdom than people who are younger. And often that's true, but it's not always true. Because God's word can make the young wiser than the aged. So I would just tell you that if you're young, you don't have to wait until you're really old like me to become wise. If you get into the word of God, you can be young and wise. And if you're older, I would remind you that just being older doesn't automatically make you wise. The, yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not when you were born. Now we talked about this last week that knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. A lot of times as we get older, hopefully we get more knowledgeable and you know, maybe we have a better chance of winning at Trivial Pursuit, but that's not the same as wisdom. Knowledge is things like facts and figures and knowing principles and charts and flow charts and timelines and all that, but wisdom is the skill of knowing how to apply knowledge to everyday life. I know people who don't have a lot of knowledge Maybe they, maybe they uh, didn't get a lot of college, a lot of extra learning, but they know how to use what they know. 
They know the word of God and they know how to apply things to life. And they're wiser than people who are much older and have all sorts of advanced degrees in education and life experience because they read the word of God and they apply the word of God to their life. I also know extremely well-educated people who are just kind of, you know, smart fools because they don't know how to apply the word of God to their everyday life. Again, it kind of reminds me of the life of Jesus. You have these, these guys called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees knew the Bible probably better than just about anyone else in Israel at the time. They knew facts and commandments and, and stories and precepts and principles and promises, but they didn't have wisdom. And because of that, God came to them in the flesh, face to face. And the very God that they proclaimed to be serving, they crucified on a cross. And this is what happens when we will not submit ourselves to the word of God. Developing wisdom is not what I call automagic. You know, there, it doesn't just happen as you get older. There's, there's a process. In verse 66, he says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. The psalmist says, teach me, right? We said last week, you have to be willing to admit you don't know it all. You don't have it all figured out. You need a teacher. So you seek God's instruction through his word. And verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Unfolding literally means just to, to open up. And as God's word is unfolded, it, it brings illumination to our life. There's this great story at the end of the Gospels about uh, after Jesus was resurrected. Remember, there's a couple disciples and they're on the road to Emmaus. It's a great picture of this. So they're, they're traveling to Emmaus and they don't know what just happened. They thought that Jesus was the son of God and when he's crucified, they, they don't know what to do with that. They don't know. So they're traveling along on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about all this and Jesus, post-resurrected Jesus, right, he, he, he decides... I just, I think he had a big smile on his face and he strategically places himself so he, you know, kind of joins him on the road and he's like, hey guys, and they don't know it's Jesus because uh, he was veiled from them. And so he's like, hey, what's going on? What's, you know, like, oh, we're talking about this Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, what? what what's about, what about Jesus? And they're like, you haven't heard about Jesus? How have you not heard? So this guy named Jesus. And we, you know, he's amazing and he performed these miracles and taught all this stuff. We thought he was the son of God and then he was crucified and people have talked about seeing him, but we don't know what, what it means. And it says, and then Jesus began to teach them. The scripture started with Moses and, and going through the prophets and it, he's teaching them. And then they get to this village and they talk him into having dinner with them and they sit down and they break bread and as soon as they begin to eat their eyes are open they see it's Jesus and he vanishes it's so great and I love what they say at the end it's, it's so great they say did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us that's what he's talking that's what the psalmist is talking about here we all need biblical instruction we all need those moments, and I have these moments. It's a, it's a great part of my job when I'm, when I'm studying the Bible or reading a commentary or, or something, and the, the light comes on. And something goes from just facts and figures on a page to suddenly taking on life. And I, I love that it's what the God does for us when we dig into his word. So that's the first thing. Here's the second reason why the word of God is more valuable than money to us, because it gives us true life, something money cannot do. In verse 93 it says this I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life I love that now commentators have kind of three different ideas about what it means to be given life and I I think they're probably all true here the first option is that what he's saying and this kind of fits along with Proverbs is that God's word uh, gives us wisdom and, and warns us of foolish choices that can lead to an early demise and you read that all over the Proverbs. And so, you know, it, it helps us avoid things that would cut our life short. Uh, things like, you know, in Proverbs it says avoid violence. Make sure you control your temper because that could lead to an early demise. Um, avoid substance abuse. Don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Um, don't live a reckless lifestyle. Don't drive through roundabouts. You know, things like that that can end your life early. It'll say, it gives us some advice. So one theory is it's just, you know, by living according to God's wisdom, you won't have an early demise. There's another option that says that what it's talking about is that God's word can bring spiritual life, can bring our souls to life. 
It's the word of God that declares the gospel to us. It teaches us about faith and how important that is. It teaches us about the grace of, of God and why that's so important. The word of God can convict us of sin and, and lead us to repentance. And the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And so that's certainly, I think, something that he has in mind here. But there's another option as well. And that is that the word of God brings what we might call a God-given vitality of life. So that we're not just living, but we're really living. So not just going through the motions, but not just living for the evening or the weekend or the paycheck or the vacation, but living life to the fullest. A couple months ago, I had uh, surgery on my, my right shoulder. I had I damaged it, and so uh, I've, I've been going through physical therapy. Many of you have been through that. So, you know, a lot of education about the rotator cuff and how all that works and, you know, doing the exercises. And now I'm kind of down to that place where I would say I probably got about 15% to go. But that last 15% is like, now it's not really just about doing exercises anymore. It's about a lifestyle. So one of the things my therapist says is, you know, every time you go through a doorway, just grab the doorway. Just like grab onto it, you know, stretch it. And once it starts hurting, then you can let go, like thank you, right? And you can just get on with your life. And the reason though that I'm willing to do this and make it a lifestyle is that my goal isn't just to not be in pain anymore. My goal is I want full use of my arm again. I actually told my, my therapist the other day, I'm like, yeah, I, gotta, I, I go to Gateway and I gotta get my arm going because there's so much of this going on at Gateway, you know? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And I wanna, I wanna play my guitar again and I you know, wanna be able to run with not be in a sling and look like a dork again, you know? It reminds me of John 10.10. 10. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly and have it to the full, have a vitality to life. But God's path to abundant life for us is not intuitive. We talked about this last week. Jesus said, you know, here's how you live the, the life of vitality. Uh, you save your life by losing it. You love your enemies. Uh, you pray for those who persecute you. Uh, that the path to greatness is being a servant. Uh, that you forgive those who sin against you. That you pray for those, right? That, that the path to true wealth is through generosity, through giving money away. That don't trust in your own wisdom, but fear the Lord. God's precepts bring vitality to our soul, to our relationships. It brings vitality to our free time and what we do with it, to our purpose for why we get up in the morning. It can bring vitality to your job. You know, maybe for some of you right now, what you don't need is a new job or a new job description or promotion. You just need some vitality from the Lord to carry into that job, to be a light, to be salt. It can bring vitality to your education, to your marriage, and in parenting and serving other people. It brings true life. Here's a third thing that it does. That the word of God exposes sin. This is another reason why it's so important to us. I grew up in um, Orange County uh, near LA and we lived up in the hills for a part of that time and we had some acreage. We ha had an um, orange grove uh, on the valley floor and then an avocado grove on the hills. And just because of the terrain and the underbrush and, and the leaves and all that, and we had a lot of snakes. So so rattlesnakes were kind of a really big thing where we lived. And a lot of times when you were just walking up through the trees, you couldn't see the rattlesnakes. They were under the grass and, and, and the leaves, and it was dangerous. So we had some German shepherds, and we had one German shepherd. He was mine. Uh, his name was Butch. And he would, when I would go back in the acreage, he would never let me go back without being with me. He would always be with me, and he could sense when there was a snake. He could see a snake. And so the way it would always work is I would be walking back to do something. I wouldn't see the snake. I'm too dumb. And he would see it, and he would jump in front of me. He would jump between the snake and me, and he would freeze looking at the snake. So it's kind of like a compass, and I, he'd be like, can you see it? Can you see it? You know, like looking at me and looking at the snake, and then that would always be a warning for me that there's danger ahead. This is kind of what the Word of God does for us in verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, in our natural, unspiritual state, we, we cannot discern sin. We, we, don't, we're, we can't do that. We can't discern what it is, uh, what it does, where it will lead. And our culture cannot see 
their sinful choices for what they are. Our culture actually celebrates sin. And that creates a very dangerous place for us. Our culture celebrates things like greed, right? Greed, like people who have uh, sinful amounts of money that they could never do anything with, and we celebrate it. We're like, you're rich. We want to be their friends, and we applaud them. Our culture celebrates uh, success at the expense of, of other people instead of serving. Our, our culture celebrates personal rights over humility and serving others. Our culture celebrates sexuality without any boundaries. Our culture celebrates debt, which is a crazy, crazy thing, and godlessness. One writer put it this way, attraction to the true and revulsion against the false are for us acquired tastes. Yeah, they don't come naturally for us. So the psalmist says, I love your word because it gives me understanding. God's word reveals sin to us. It reveals it for what it is. It pulls away the veil. And I love what he says it does. It, when that happens, sin loses its appeal. We don't want it anymore. He says it's a light the word of God is a light to my path. And a lot of times we think of it as kind of like just a light for everyday stuff. Like I go to the store and I'm, you know, should I get regular chips or baked chips? You know, like God, I need a light for that. Like one tastes better, one's better for me. This is not the kind of light that this is providing for us. In the context, it's about making moral choices, choosing between right and wrong. That God's word shines a light on things around us. It shows us what is true and it shows us what is false. It can see sin for what it is and, and where it leads and we can see the ugliness and the deception. And I love this. It, it, it removes the appeal of sin when we see it for what it is. Scripture often talks about walking in darkness and why we need light. Walking in darkness is a, an analogy for something that's dangerous and something that's foolish. A couple years ago, my wife and I went and we refinanced, right, when interest was zero, and uh, they were probably giving you uh, money for free, and, and, and we had to walk in when we were closing, walk into this room, you've all done this right, and there's a big stack of papers, and there's like 18 pens sitting there, and you're just going to sign and sign and sign. Imagine that we went in the room, and they closed all the shades, and they turned the lights off, and they said, you don't need to read the fine print, just sign it, sign it, sign it, right? You say, well, that'd be foolish, that would be, that would be stupid. Folks, it's dangerous to make financial decisions in the dark. It's dangerous to make moral decisions in the dark, to make relational decisions, vocational decisions. And yet, without the word of God, that's exactly what we're doing. And so God gives us the light of his word. And the psalmist says, this is another reason I value your word over money. It reveals sin. Here's a fourth thing that he mentions, that it is filled with wondrous things. That's how the psalmist puts it. I would ask, I would wonder, what, are, what would you say are some of the most wondrous things that you have seen in your life? What would be like the top five, the top ten? I would say for me, certainly it would be the birth of each one of my children. One of the most wondrous things, or three of the most wondrous things I have ever seen, three of the most spiritual experiences that I've ever had. I, maybe for you it would be maybe uh, a wedding, maybe your wedding, Maybe like I could still, it was a long time ago, I can remember every ounce of that wedding. It was so beautiful to me. And even the weddings of other people that I've been to, maybe it's just going out one night and looking at the stars and thinking about the God who created the universe or seeing a sunrise. In verse 18, the psalmist says this, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous, wondrous things out of your law. He says there are beautiful, amazing things in the word of God. The metaphor here is with open is the idea of removing a veil or, or, or a covering. In the Bible, sight is a frequent metaphor for understanding. And again, in our natural, unspiritual state, we're often blind to what is true and what is, what is wondrous and, and beautiful and, and awe-inspiring. And so the psalmist asked the Lord to open his eyes so that he would be able to see the extraordinary things, the, the beautiful things, the wondrous things that are in the word of God because God is, his word is filled with those things. Now, a lot of commentators think when he talks about wondrous things, he's probably making reference to the Exodus at the very least, which was a common thing that people would look at. Um, you know, maybe things like the, the burning bush, 
right? How, how amazing is that story? You ever read that and thought, wow, that, like, Moses was talking to a bush and God was talking to Moses or, or when Moses, you know, goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh or when you have the plagues or the Passover or the crossing of the Red Sea or Mount Sinai or, you know, marching around Jericho. And the psalmist says, when I read these things, they're full of wonder and, and beauty and amazement. And he says, just open that up to me, Lord. Maybe today for you, it's, it's looking at God's creation and thinking about what Scripture says about God as our creator. Maybe it's thinking about the incarnation. Christmas is, is coming up. Hopefully we'll be doing some of that. Thinking about God in flesh. Have you ever just taken time to think about God in the flesh and let it like just blow your mind? Because there's, there's beauty in there. Maybe it says you think about the life of Christ or the cross or the resurrection or salvation through faith and the grace of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's promises that God gives, right? Like all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's beauty in that. There's beauty in things like, you know, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Or, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, these are beautiful things that God gives to us. Things that you can't buy with money. Wonder in the word of God. There's a fifth thing that he mentions. And that is he says that when the word of God is in him and he's living it out, it inspires people around him. In, in verse 74, he says, As those who fear you, that is people who have faith in God, shall see me and rejoice because, because I have hoped in your word. So the psalmist knows that God's word is working both in him, but it's also working through him. It's impacting people around him. And as he embraces God's word, he grows wise. And as he grows in his skill of applying the word of God to the life around him, people are seeing that. Right? They're, they're watching that happen. They're seeing, oh, that God's wor- word really works in real life. And that it gives wisdom and, and blessing and protection for those who trust in him. And it brings great joy. And what it's doing, the psalmist knows, is it's, it's creating a desire in other people to go to that same place in their relationship with the word. I mean, Christmas is coming up. Maybe you've, you know, kind of thinking about what you're going to buy people this year. Let me just give you a great gift idea. <laughs> of all the gifts that you could give to people, Trusting in the word of God, getting into the word of God and living out the word of, the, of God is a great gift to give, right? Imagine giving that to your spouse. Uh, they might want something else too, but imagine, you're right, just giving that to your spouse or to your kids. Being a parent who lives, who embodies the word of God. Imagine the gift that that is to your kids as they get to see in mom or dad that the word of God is, is trustworthy, Imagine giving that gift to your friends, to your oikos. The psalmist says, I can see that. And he loves that about the word. Here's the sixth thing he says. And that is that the word of God provokes in him praise. It stirs something up in him. In verse 171, he says this. Uh, He says that it does it in two ways. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes, and my tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. So what he's saying is this, that when God's word is living in me, it will come out of me. It will not just reside in me, it will come out in my words. He says it in two particular ways. He says, uh, I will pour forth praise, and that idea of pouring forth is the idea of of a bubbling of a spring, right? That you don't have to manufacture, you don't have to make, you don't have to work on it or work yourself up. You cannot not do it. When the word of God is dwelling in you and you're living in the word of God and you're applying the word of God, it will bubble up out of you and praise will naturally flow out of you. And he says another thing, he says, and I sing. Now, this is an interesting one. I've had several conversations about this this week because sometimes I'll have people say to me, you know, pastor, I'm not really a singer. I'm not really a musician. I I usually come late to the service uh, because there's just the whole singing thing and it's got to get past that and then, you know, we'll get into the meat of the word of God. That's what I come for. Folks, when the word of God is living in you and the Holy Spirit is working in you, you 
will, it will come out in song. Now, it doesn't say that it will come out well. It doesn't say that you'll sing on tune. It doesn't say that anybody will want to be standing next to you and listening to it, but it says that you will sing because it's a work that God is doing in you. Music is the language of a soul that is filled with the word of God. When God teaches us things from the word, it, it expands our minds with awesome truth. We call that theology. As we learn theology, it gives us wisdom for living life and for decisions and relationships and you know, the hard challenges in life. It blesses our soul, it gives us joy. And when the psalmist thinks about how God's word has blessed him, he's like, I can't, I can't control it. It just comes out. I have to vocalize it for other people to hear. He says also something I love in verse 62. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Now, many of us could say at midnight, I rise at 2 a.m., I rise, but that's kind of different than what he's talking about. What he's saying is this, that God's word causes him to wake up in the middle of the night and when, at an inconvenient time, at a time when he'd rather be sleeping, but he wakes up because he has to praise God because God has been doing stuff, God has been working in him through the word, and he wakes up and he just has to praise God, to thank God for the things he's learned in the word, for the beautiful things, the wondrous things, for how God's word is shaping his life, for how God maybe answered prayer today, for the wisdom he needed for a situation, and how God came through, and he says, I, I wake up, like imagine, imagine waking up in the middle of the night, right, and not waking up with dark thoughts, I know people tell me a lot of times when I wake up at 2 a.m., it's not good. I'm thinking dark things. I'm taking difficult things. Uh, uh, sometimes we wake up and we're, what are we thinking about? Things we got to do tomorrow. Uh, I got to do this stuff. I can't forget. And then we worry and we stress. Or maybe some problem I got to solve. Like think about instead of doing that, that you just wake up with praise on your lips. Maybe you even say it out loud and your spouse is like, Thank you, uh, right? But I love what he says here. He's like, I can't. This is what God's word does to me. Here's the seventh thing he says, that the word is my counselor. It's my counselor. In verse 23, even though princes sit and talk against me, even though they trash talk me, he says, your servant stays focused. Your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They are my therapist. Powerful people apparently were talking about him, conspiring, slandering, gossip, but the psalmist says, I don't let that distract me, right? I trust God. I, I don't stress out. It doesn't cause him to do his own scheming and plotting. Instead, he says, man, I just read the word. I just trust the word. I let it be my counselor. What does he mean by that? You know, I mean, think about this. How much time do we spend thinking about what other people are saying about us. How much time do we think about, you know, what people say about us on Facebook or maybe f what family say about us when we're not there or friends when we're not there or people at work or at school, right? Worrying about what people think about us and say about us can suck up our, our thoughts and our emotion and our energy, can't it? Where we sit and we stew and we worry, but this, the psalmist says, I don't do that. I just go to God's word and I live my life. I let it be my counselor. I, I trust in God. He says, I don't live in fear of other people. He is influenced by the word of God. He doesn't let what other people say set his mood and his attitude and his actions and reactions. He lets the word of God determine his mood. And the word of God determine his, his attitude and his actions and his reactions. And he remembers God's testimonies. He says, I just remember things in the Bible. I think about Noah. Right? Lots of people laughed at Noah. I think about Abraham. I think about Joseph and the stuff they went through. Right? And how God was faithful and I let that set my mood. In verse 165, he says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. He says, great shalom. Loving God's word brings a focus and a peace and a confidence and a, and a rest. Now, I, I want to get to the application at the end, which means we're going to just kind of jump through the next four. I'm going to mention them, and then that's what I'm going to do, and then you're going to go home, and you're going to read those and look up the references and study them and fill out the notes. And I won't know that, but, you know, God will. Uh, so let's think about, uh, um, sorry, to play that card. Um, eighth thing he says, the reason that it's so valuable, is that walking in it brings blessings. 
in verses one and two, he says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed, that's a kind of a transcendent happiness, not based on circumstances, but on God. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek them uh, with his whole heart. A ninth thing is that the word of God produces liberation or freedom. Right, we live in a world where people think the Bible, like that sounds constraining. It sounds like a, a prison. Notice what he says in verse 45. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. He says, actually the word of God is what sets us free from the bondage of this world. Number 10, it gives me strength. When we're weak, when we're weary, the word of God brings strength to us. In verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word through the promises of God. Uh, an 11th thing, uh, this is the last one, it's a timeless, it's a transcendent truth. The word of God that was true 2,000 years ago was true 1,000 years ago, is true today. In verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So there's many more. You can go through Psalm 119 and find them yourselves, but I wanna just kind of wrap this up by talking about kind of what do we do with God's better word? What do we do with it? And I, in your no notes, I want to mention a couple things quickly. The first is this. Obviously, it starts by you got to get it into you. It's not going to do you any good to leave your Bible sitting on the shelf. You need to read the Word of God. Again, in verse 30, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So you need to read it. You need to read the Bible. Now, throughout most of church history, most people could not afford or even have access to a printed Bible. We live in a different world. We can, you know, we can buy Bibles. They're not expensive. If your eyes are really bad like mine, you can buy a Bible like mine. It's, the print's so big, you could probably read it five or six rows back, right? It's great for physical therapy. Uh, but the point, but we, we have Bibles and we can read Bibles in it. You can get it on your phone if you do it, like to do it that way. Get it on your iPad, on your, on your computer. Um, you, can, you can have it read to you. Um, on, your, on your phone. You can hook it up while you're driving to work and you can have someone else with a nice voice read the Bible to you. Um, read it. Read it. Get into it. Read it with someone else. Find someone else and read the Bible together. Uh, listen to good sermons. Like there's, there's thousands and thousands of sermons online that you can listen to. Uh, listen to some podcasts. We have Bible studies in this church for everyone. For every age, everyone. Youth, when, men, women, we have Bible studies. Find them, get into one. Um, talk about it with other people. Talk about it at dinner. Talk about it with your grow group and at work. Get the Bible into you. Here's the second thing. You gotta put it into practice. In verse one and two, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Right, so when you hear a sermon, when you read a passage, don't just... Don't just be like, okay, I'm done, right? Just don't, don't walk out of here after the last song and think, all right, check off that box. Ask, what do I do with it? How do I put it into practice? Be like the wise person that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. When you hear the teachings of Jesus, you, you put it into practice. You build your life on the rock, right? Write down the application. What will I do? Put it on a you know, note, stick it on your dashboard. Uh, have some visual. Our house, is, our house is full of little visual trinkets because I'm very visual. So like I have a little button on my nightstand. That's from a, a sermon in Colossians about put on, right? So every morning when I get up and I grab my glasses and I see the button, I remember to put on uh, some of the clothing of God. Uh, we have also little crosses all over the place to remind it to pick up the cross today. Maybe it's visuals. Maybe it's writing it down. But but to put it into practice, to, to make it a habit. And as you put it into practice, you'll learn that God's word is, is true and it's trustworthy and it will grow your faith. Here, here's another thing, a third thing, commit it to memory. Here's, here's where you might start to tune me out, all right? In verse 11, he says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right, this, is, this is powerful. Memorizing the word of God is like a, a whole nother level beside reading it. Because you may find yourself in a situation where you need the Bible and you don't have it with you, unless you have it memorized. And then you have it with you wherever you go. And you have it at that moment, right? When that guy's tailgating you. You have, you have a verse that you can remember when someone's giving you a hard time, when you start feeling stressed out or worried. You have it at that moment. 
And there's another thing I would mention, and that is, at least for me, I have found that the things I memorize take root in a way that just reading the Bible does not do. When I memorize something, it begins to grow in me. It kind of takes on a life of its own. The Lord will start to bring it to mind at all sorts of times. When I wake up in the middle of the night, when I'm driving down the road, suddenly there it is, and I I see something, and God teaches me about that verse. Maybe when I'm doing chores, and God brings it to mind. and, And one of the things it does is it kind of crowds out all the worthless stuff that I might think about. Sometimes I'm thinking about stuff's not that great and God brings a verse to mind and I'm like, that's, right, that's a great thing to think about. It has a way of transforming our thoughts and our self-talk and our relationships and our attitude and our, our decision. And, and I would just, you know, say this. I know a lot of times people say, like, I can't memorize stuff and you, that's not true. You memorize a lot of stuff you don't even try to memorize. And I would even say this, okay, so just between you and me, this isn't being recorded right now, so I can just say this. Like, um, if you're like, well, it's so hard for me to memorize the verse and the, the numbers and all, then just memorize the word. You know, the Bible didn't come to us from God with uh, verses and chapters. So, I mean, if you can memorize it, it's great because then you know where to find it, but, it's, but that's, memorize the word. And even if you can't memorize a whole verse, memorize part of a verse, right? Even if you can't memorize it word for word, but get some of the word of God into you. All right, uh, number four, talk about it with other people. The psalmist mentions that in verse 13 and 14. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth and the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in riches. When you talk about the Bible with other people, I, it just does something, right? When the, when the words come out of your mouth. Have you found that? Like it's one thing to read it and it's another thing to think it, but when it starts coming out of your mouth, when you start talking to your spouse, talking to your kids, talking to your parents, talking to your friends, and you're like, whoa, that's that's coming out of my mouth. And there's, there's something about the word of God coming out of us. It's so good for us. And it's so good for the people that we are talking to. So talk about it. Talk about it at dinner today. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about what you read today. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it at Grow Group. Holiday gatherings are coming up. Yeah, you're like, that'll be awkward. Yeah, just do it. Just have some fun. Like, hey, I went to church, heard this thing, I read my, my Bible today. Talk about it at work. I'm telling you, it will transform some of your relationships. And here's the last one. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I could talk about this one forever, and I won't. But meditating means not just reading the Bible, which you should do, not just listening to it, which is good for us, not just reciting it, which is important, not even just talking about it. Meditating means I make some space in my head, in my thoughts, I clear some things out in my schedule, and I let the Word of God just dwell there for a while. I'm, I make an appointment, and I let it dwell there. I, I cast everything out, and this is different than what we often do. What we often do is, well, I'm going to think about stuff, and then if God brings a verse to mind, I'll think about it. This is the opposite. No. I'm going to make some time in my schedule right now, clean out my head, and I'm just going to think about a verse of the Bible. I'm just going to think about the Word for a little bit. I'll just tell you this. There are some things that you can only discover. You will only ever discover by dwelling in the Word. You will not get it out of a book. You will not even just get it out of here. It only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit as you dwell in the Word. And I tell you this from experience. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we lived in this parsonage, and um, there was a lot of lawn, and I had about a half acre that I was supposed to mow, and I had, a, I had a push mower. And so there was a lot of time for me to think. And I remember one time I was getting ready to teach from the end of the book of John, and I w- there was this passage, and I was ready to teach it, but I just felt like there was something missing. And I, so I thought, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna think about that verse while I'm mowing the lawn. And I could tell you, where I was on the lawn when all of a sudden God just opened it up and I was like, oh, that's what it means in a, in a way I'd never understood it before. In fact, I'll be talking about that in, in a few weeks. It was so, and I've had that happen when I'm, when I'm on a run. I, I could tell you this, there are runs where I go on and listen to podcasts. That's good. There are runs when I go on and listen to music. I like that. And then there are runs that I go on and I just like, usually it's attached to a sermon. God, I'm not sure I quite get this. And I'll just go for a run and all I'll think about is this verse. And I can tell you every single time without fail, ever, 
At the beginning of the run, I'll be like thinking and I'm thinking and it's thinking and nothing's happening and all of a sudden, everything just starts unfolding. God will show up. God will teach you things. We have to make room in our life for this. And let me just mention one final thing. What if uh, what the psalmist says doesn't describe you in verse 127? Therefore, I love your commandments. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. What if that doesn't describe you? Let me just say this. When you love someone, you naturally want to spend time with them. Nobody has to come and say, oh, let me give you eight reasons to spend time with the person you love. You want to spend time with the person you love. And if you want to learn to love someone, spending time with them is a good strategy. Spending time with the Word of God is a great way to fall in love with the Word of God because the Word of God is, is beautiful. It is lovely. It is amazing. And you will fall in love with it as you spend time with it. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to close together in a song. Father God, I thank you for our, our time together in your word this morning. I thank you for the beauty of your word, the, the power of your word. I thank you for the way that it has blessed us, for the way that it has given us life, for the way that it is transforming us, for the power that uh, it has in us as your spirit works. And I pray for us right now that we would not be those people who hear the word of God and simply walk away and do nothing with it. May we be like that wise builder who took the words of Jesus, who takes the word of scripture and, and builds a life on them to build on the rock of what's true. We thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we as we go from here, that we would be men and women of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, 